Good evening, Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest. Today is the 20th day of November, and it is the year 2021. We know that Thanksgiving here in the USA is coming just next week, and I absolutely make it my priority to finish these aging lectures because I really, really want to move on uh, and not get too much older in the process. So let me um, switch gears a little bit from what I talked about last time, which was deep into T-cell physiology and biochemistry. And let me talk about another major morbidity that we find in aging and how this particular morbidity and disease state is associated with a senescent process. So what I'm talking about, of course, is tumor genesis. And when you have a multicellular organism with renewable, and by that I mean something that can be repaired and regenerated with a renewable tissue, aging itself will entail a yet another physiological feature. I'm going to say that's going to be a recapitulation of juvenile robust division and growth. Now, with that particular mechanism in place, when the senescent process is also occurring, you will allow cells to proliferate inappropriately. And this, at the first stages, is simply called hyperplasia. Now, through genomic instability, those changes allow cells to acquire phenotypes that increase their ability to proliferate and migrate and indeed colonize ectopic sites. And when the cells are able to function this way, they can survive hostile tissue environments and they can indeed evade attack by the immune system. Now those phenotypes, those early phenotypes are emblematic of terminal cancers. Now, I want you to go back and rem remember about our T-cell story. Remember I told you the total number of T-cells remained constant pretty much throughout the human lifespan. But what we see is a great deal of heterogeneity in the percentages of the subpopulations. So we could talk about CD8 positive T-cells, which tend to increase while the number of CD4 positive T cells decreases. So that leads to this uh, decrease in a ratio of CD4 positive, CD8 positive. Now that phenomenon by itself is part of an immune risk profile. And it can indicate a condition of immunosuppression, especially within certain disease phenotypes. Now, within both populations of those T cells, aging is accompanied by a reduction initially in T cells with a naive phenotype. We've talked about this a great deal. And to give you a more detailed naive phenotype, I mean those cells with CD surface receptors such as CD45RA and CD28. Um, now, those deplete while more differentiated T cells accumulate. Remember that? And that's going to narrow that TCR repertoire, recall? So naive T cells 
uh, typically represent a pool of antigen inexperienced cells, and they ensure an adequate immune response or adequate robust immune response against any newly encountered or potentially mutated pathogens. Thus, a reduction in the naive cell T-cell population is going to reduce um, sensu stricto, the T-cell receptor repertoire. And again, remember, that's mainly a result of the thymic involution and also the T-regulatory cell alteration in generation. All of that is driven by a chronic antigenic stimulation and inflammation, right? So in particular... When you look at the human cytomegalovirus infection, that's HCMV, of course, it accelerates an alteration in both naive CD positive, CD4 positive T cells and the accumulation of these now HCMV specific CD8 positive, CD28 minus uh, lymphocytes, T lymphocytes. Now, after about a cutoff age of 65, there's going to be a shift to senescence and an accumulation of these highly differentiated CD28 minus T cells. And the phenomena occurs more strongly in the CD8 positive lineage. That leads to a defective antigen-induced proliferation. So you have senescent T cells undergoing replicative senescence because they've shortened telomeres and a reduced proliferative capacity. And that lineage are strong producers, nevertheless, of pro-inflammatory cytokines. And what they do is aggravate, yes, inflammaging. And again, inflammaging describes a persistent, non-resolving, low-grade, at least initially, inflammation during aging, that fails to move to an anti-inflammatory status or indeed to even allow repair of tissue injury. Instead, what inflammation does is progresses and it seems to be strongly related to, as I've mentioned last time, to cellular immunosenescence. So inflammation promotes aging and morbidity outright with an increased level of interleukin-6, TNF-alpha, those two pro-inflammatory cytokines, and you see this in the elderly, and though and the ex higher expression of IL-6 in TNF-alpha, which is the hallmark of inflammaging, is associated not only in uh, being in the elderly population, but it's associated with a disability, various kinds of disabilities, cellular and organ-based, plus a more higher mortality. So both those cytokines are elevated in type 2 diabetes, for example, cardiovascular disease, neurodegenerative disease, and yes, what we had just started talking about, cancer. Now, a differential regulation of interleukin-10 and TNF-alpha may actually be essential in predicting a progression of the event itself known as inflammation. Now, remember, cellular senescence is a physiological process. It's not a pathophysiological process. It has many genetic determinants, 
And on top of that, it has environmental, or if you want to call them external modifiers. And those include stress, alterations in nutrition, and then what results is a self-fate reprogramming, which can include two particular fates, autophagy or apoptosis. So human aging is a lifelong, what I would term teleological process that includes the specifics of cellular senescence, plus this rather underdefined terminus that will track chronological longevity as it occurs in all of the major systems of the body, including the musculature, all the solid organs, the peripheral nervous system, and indeed the central nervous system. So aging is at an organismal level and it's inevitable and it's inevitable you're going to have increasing morbidity with or without a definable etiological agency. And in the end, there's always il morte, death. This is in contrast to simply senescence, in quotation marks, which itself is a variable physiological response. It, for one thing, it's tissue specific. And it can be, again, both plastic and elastic relative to short but stochastic progress that presents with intervals of remission and progression without a necessary uniformity of any morbidity or indeed even coordinated accidental or coincidental death. Now, at the end of human life, though, the senescence of every tissue lineage can be rate and stage specifically independent, yet ultimately uniformly unrecoverable after sufficient time leading to death. Now, both an integumental and an internal microbiota do survive post-physiological death, depending on aerobic requirements. So I bring that up because the integumental less in your, on your skin and the internal microbiota do play a very significant role throughout life usually related to their presentation as a biofilm in mucous membranous systems. Most commonly, think about the small intestine being very much associated with the global immune response. I want to get that in there, right? The biofilm microbiota. So with that whole change in the immune system, for example, the thymic involution, a lymphatic zonation, uh, an alteration of lymphocytes and leukocytes and circulation, the chronic low-level inflammatory response of inflammation, the functional activity of individual immune cell populations as they themselves senesce and alter according to their utilization of carbon sources, particularly glucose, fatty acid, or amino acid. Now, a particular interest is that Treg cell lineage, right? CD4 positive Tregs. They will maintain, uh, when you have healthy Treg populations, a, a sort of a ever-present immunological self-tolerance. 
And with that, you're going to get cellular homeostasis, right? Now, human Tregs are only about 5 to 10% of the total CD4 positive uh, cell lineage pool. These CD4 positive Tregs are divided into two key populations that we talked about many times. This is just recapping it for you, right? Remember, you have the thymic Tregs or TTregs, and then you have the Tregs generated and matured in the periphery. And those are the PTregs. And they differ substantially uh, biochemically. Now, these Treg subsets are differentiated via membrane, cytoplasmic, and nuclear location of specific proteins that are expressed in that population. Right? So now we're getting into the Treg cell. We're looking intracellularly. And we're looking at Treg subsets differ according to membrane topology, including membrane protein, but also membrane lipid, cytoplasmic, cytoplasmic uh, lipid and protein, and of course, nuclear location. Here we're talking more often about um, transcription factors. Now, the most common uh, in Tregs is, again, the 4-ked FOXP3. That's the FOXP3 transcription factor. That's polypeptide that was originally called scurfin, and it related to its nuclear gene expression and subsequent Treg differentiation and function in those earlier classical animal models. So FOXP3 Tregs will also consistently express the abundant plasma membrane protein. So you got FOXP3 in the nucleus. Then you got this plasma membrane protein, CD25, which is actually, hopefully you remember this, the interleukin-2 receptor alpha chain. CD25 is that protein. They're the same protein. You also get a low level of Tregs of a plasma membrane CD127. Now, what is that? That's the interleukin-7 receptor alpha chain. Okay. So these clusters of differentiation proteins are actually cytokine receptors. So another characteristic protein expression, which shares a discriminating co-occurrence with variable abundance, variable abundance, and with other with all kinds of other T cell lineages, um, I talked about at great length in previous lectures. So I'm not going to get into that too much today, because remember these are synoptic lectures. I'm trying to finish aging, so I just want to remind you of those things. So. Now let's blow back up all the way at the top of Pike's Peak, right? Talk about aging being an accumulation of random genetic mutations and epigenetic events. It's also uh, uh, related to a phenotype of decreased progenitor cell fitness, an altered systemic and microenvironment within the system itself, that, that is the body. And of course, what we've been talking about again and again and again, because it's most interesting, an altered immune response. Now, the accumulation of the epigenetic uh, and genetic uh, alterations will give you an increased probability of oncogenic events. All those other aspects of aging will promote an expansion of potentially mutant cellular clones. Now, in the aggregate, that can lead to cancer, okay? So that's 
So the cancer risk in aging, if you look at like two common cancers, colon and breast, and you look at the age of a person and the number of cancer cases per 100,000, age of person on the x-axis, if you can imagine seeing this, and on the y-axis, you're looking at number of cancer cases per 100,000 population. And the range I'm going to put on that y-axis is in hundreds. So at age 20, for example, breast cancer is practically zero. And you don't see colon cancer picking up until about age 40. And it's still very, very, very low. But then you get a tremendous increase. Of course, breast cancer more associated with women. Colon cancer slightly more associated with men, but it's not as sex specific. But by the time you're 60 years old, you're going from zero when you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s to, if you're a woman, somewhere around 200 per 100,000 of potential for breast cancer by the time you're 60. Same time, colon cancer is still relatively low, about 50 or 60 cases per 100,000. But when you get to 80, this is like advanced elderly, right? Colon cancer is up well over 350 cases per 100,000. Breast cancer sort of starts to plateau there right around 300 cases per 100,000 by the time you hit 80. So you can see that there's definitely a risk of cancer simply with chronological clock time aging. Now, what's the background that's in, related to this, right? Well, remember that uh, we have cellular senescence, and that is indeed itself a stress response. Part of that dialectical event ontology I keep on referring to. Now, what it links to are potentially multiple presentations of pathology associated with aging. And what do we call these? Degenerative diseases and, of course, the hyperplastic the cancers. So cellular senescence is unlikely to explain all of the cluster of aging phenotypes, but it certainly plays a role, or at least it's highly associated. Nonetheless, a surprisingly large number of the aging pathologies are linked either directly or indirectly with some association with that biochemistry of a senescent response. So you have normal cells typically when you're younger, and then you start picking up genetic alterations. Now, these can be mutations or deletions directly in the inherited genome. And what that those genetic alterations can do, of course, is affect gene expression and therefore cell function. At the same time, starting immediately, you start getting epigenetic alterations. This is how cells learn to adapt to self, right? And those epigenetic changes will give you chromatin retailering because of the methylation, acetylation, ubiquitinylation, propanylation, citrullation of histones and cytosine residues and adenosine residues. Remember all the epigenetic markers, microRNA expression, right? So you're going to get changes in specific types of chromatin structure, but also the big thing is a change in gene expression in particular cell lineages and not others, and not something that is chronic, but that can come and go. All of that will then lead to 
an alteration of cell function. So you got genetic modifications turning into mutations, you got epigenetic alterations turning into changes in gene expression. Both of those are going to lead to an aging with cancer phenotype. So what you get then is the genetically mutated cells can themselves go through further epigenetic alterations and the epigenetically altered cells will start going through in a complementary way their own genetic mutations. So you have genetic mutations then epigenetic alterations and at the same time you have epigenetic alterations followed with genetic mutations. Ultimately, what that leads to is a progression of the aging itself in the forms of inflammation aging and immunosenescence, right? But also directly, it progresses the aging phenotype and cancer. Okay. So what is the senescent responses? What are the causes? Go in a little bit more detail again. Persistent telomeric and genomic damage. Remember, the telomerase also loses expression pattern. You get oncogenes. You get strong mitogenic signals. You get epigenomic retailering, as I keep on saying. And you also get a lot of uh, an increase anyway because of the Treg cell perturbations. You get tumor suppression. At the same time, you get errant gene superactivation. So the consequences of all of this are age-related degeneration on one hand, but also some tumor suppression because of the decrease in cell divisions, right? You get some tissue repair increasing as you age, but you also get age-related degeneration, right? And then, of course, you have this age-related tumor progression. Now, Cellular senescence is, is clearly a response to at least one facet of oncogenic stimuli. And that stimuli we've talked about several times over the last year, that's DNA damage. And that can be linked to, but not necessarily, telomere shortening. You also get strong mitogenic signals, which means cell division is inappropriate. And those mitogenic signals include the cell cycle monitoring proteins, which now, when activated, mutated, or epigenetically retailored, become oncogenes. You also get damage and disruption of the epigenome itself that led to the production of the individualized epigenome of the individual self, right? The, the agent the free will agent that has altered its life through changes in nutrition, changes in environment, changes in learning, and changes in, um, because of behavioral patterns, the exposure to potentially lethal or sublethal xenobiotics and disease. Right? Of course. So all this consequence of cellular senescence then become myriad, right? You get essentially an irreversible growth arrest, um, which can suppress tumorogenesis, but you have other phenotypes going on at the same time, including the senescence associated secretory phenotype, which can lead to 
post-migrational tissue signaling leading to new cell division because of a transmission of signaling from senescent cells. At the same time, the senescent cells are trying to repair local lesions with the help of macrophages, for example. So you end up with senescent cell phenotypes, and ironically, all of this will fuel a developmental cancer. And then you get either a promotion or a deletion of tumor beds, all associated with the degenerative disease we call aging. Right? So some cancers come and go during this degeneration process, and some of them take full infection court status and can lead to the morbidity that causes mortality to death. Okay. So these things are inevitable. So you have a genomic epigenomic stress on DNA damage repair. Any kind of stress besides a genomic and epigenomic can also occur at any time, all altering DNA damage repair. Now, when you get that occurring over time, this is part of the chronic aging process, you can generate a chronic or persistent DNA damage repair. This is going to be overcompensated by the expression and then slow patterning mutation of a cell cycle protein known as P53. P53 would normally be blocking the senescent phenotype because it controls cell cycle. Remember, senescent phenotype means a uh, basically a torpor and then a nadir of cellular division. And what that's called, again, is the SASP, the senescent associated secretary phenotype. Now, those all these stresses can also relate to expression of a protein, again, involved in cell cycle, we talked about called P16 inc 4A. That can be the result of, in fact, persistent DNA damage repair. And DNA da persistent DNA damage repair is necessarily going to involve the expression of genes that are associated with that mechanism. And those are things like P38, protein kinase C, and then uh, as a group of uh, toxic cytotoxic uh, or organic uh, compounds, reactive oxygen species. Sometimes organic, sometimes not organic, right? The organic ones would be associated with fatty acid uh, epoxides, for example. Now, what can happen because of P16 um, expression and, and then also the expression of P38, PKC, et cetera, you start to get an uptick in NF kappa B, and in the CEBP beta protein, when those will act, those proteins will act transcriptionally to slow down normal cell division leading to the SASP phenotype. Same time, P16 Inc4A can uh, turn on the expression of PRB, which will then generate not euchromatin, but heterochromatin. Heterochromatin, SASP, and Eventually, P53 inducing P21 is going to cause cell cycle arrest and then growth arrest. Okay? So that's how this whole process comes together. Remember that cellular senescence is initiated by the genomic or epigenomic damage. It activates that DDR. The DDR becomes persistent, or I would say chronic, 
that leads to the activation of that P38, which is actually a MAP kinase, by the way. And of course, the protein kinase C. Uh, and, that's, and that can also be induced by diacylglycerol because of phospholipase activity in the membrane, of course. And what all of that leads to is the increase in reactive oxygen and ultimately the expression of that P16 INC4A. And then the rest I just uh, followed through on. So you get basically an oncogenic dynamic status. So where are we at on time here? Because this is getting, I think, uh, a really good story. And I know, <laughs> I know I said I was going to be done. The, the last lecture was penultimate, but I told you that there'd probably be a video lecture and there will be. This is not obviously because you don't see me, right? So I might throw in a few more of these audio lectures because I don't want to leave you without talking about these major things. Like, look, here's cancer, right? We weren't going to leave cancer out of the final story on aging in humans. And so I had to get into this and I'm not quite finished with the cancer story. So I'm going to have to finish it uh, tisk tisk with more um, authentic biochemistry audio presentations. And hopefully you will enjoy those as much as I enjoy uh, delivering them, writing them and delivering them. So again, uh, Dr. Dan Guerra, Authentic Biochemistry Studios on in the Pacific Northwest on the 20th of November, 2021, getting really right after Thanksgiving and the great holidays ahead, um, saying uh, I'm doing this because I have nothing better to do and bye for now.